Hi, my name is Gabrielle Grasky, and I am a journalism student at the University of Missouri. As most of you listening probably have read, a lot of events have happened here this week um, surrounding the idea of race and kind of the conflicts that it has created in today's society. Um, I think a lot of what has happened has happened because a lot of people believe that racism doesn't exist anymore. And I, and I think a lot of students here would probably disagree with that. And whether you believe that racism is institutional and systematic or cultural and societal uh, is kind of one thing. But in my opinion here at Mizzou, uh, there are no systems in place that give one group opportunities over the other. However, there is a culture here of minority groups feeling like they don't belong here at Mizzou. And I think the root of the protests was that that they didn't feel home here and they wanted to have that voiced. No matter what end of the spectrum you stand um, on those protests or even anyone on this campus where they stand, um, one huge event that stood out to me was the way that protesters handled the media. And no matter where I stand on the movement itself, one thing that really upset me was kind of the hypocrisy surrounding which freedoms uh, students wanted others to exercise. So a lot of student protesters were really adamant about using freedom of protest, that First Amendment right, um, but were kind of hesitant to allow journalists to get that story and interview them and take pictures and kind of denied the freedom of the press. And as a journalism student, that's something that really upset me because this is the University of Missouri. We're famous for our journalism and the idea that we can pick and choose First Amendment freedoms isn't necessarily right to me. My name is Jalen Henderson. I'm a sophomore here at Mizzou, so um, I see exactly what the campus looks like and feels like on the first-hand experience. And over the past week, because of the concerns student 1950 and all the other um, things going on on campus, people's true colors and opinions have really come to light. Um, and this is incredibly significant because it shows that the racism and discrimination um, is still alive today and there's something we need to do about it. A lot of people don't think that it's still a real occurrence, but it really is. My name is Sharon Lee, and I'm a freshman at Yale University. You may have recently read about us in the media, and I hope I can provide you with some background and some insight. Two weeks ago, Erica Christakis, the associate master of one of the 12 residential colleges on campus, sent an email in response to a university-wide email sent by the Intercultural Affairs Council, which called for students to take the time to consider their costumes and the impact they might have, and said costumes including feathered headdresses, turbans, wearing war paint, or modifying skin tone, or wearing blackface or redface, should be avoided. Christakis found this to be an overstep on our right for free speech and regarded it as a step of censorship and prohibition. She encouraged students to look away or tell students if they were offended by costumes in light of free speech and the ability to tolerate offenses. Later that night, a group of African-American females were turned away from a Halloween party at an SAE fraternity, being told that it was a white girls only party. These are facts that I've presented in the most objective light possible. But to be human is to be subjective, to be moved, to have an opinion, to feel something. Christakis's email, I'm sure, had good intentions. She wanted to start a conversation on an issue that is both relevant and important to college campuses, but
but she ended up marginalizing the wishes of people of color on this campus and making it into an issue of free speech rather than that of respect, emotional and physical safety, and the fight against racism. She claims that, quote, she doesn't wish to trivialize genuine concerns about cultural and personal representation, end quote, but then goes and does exactly that by marching around saying that this entire issue is one of comfort. Mrs. Christakis, you say that proposed guidelines for costumes to avoid hurt and offense is an admiral goal, in theory. What you don't consider is this so-called theory is a matter of many of us peoples of color's well-being on a campus that we supposedly share. What you call an institutional exercise of implied control over college students shows how little you know about our student body. Racial competence in terms of cultural appropriation is a desire that a huge number of us share, a desire that many of us have fought for rather than one that administrators are pushing upon us. Christakis speaks from a very high place of white privilege that is blatantly illustrated when she totes the idea that if we're offended, we should just look away or say that we are offended, as if so-called civilized dialogue is always safe, as if it's always possible. Whether that's when a Native American student is verbally and physically abused, when she calls out a group of Yale students wearing headdresses specific to her culture, or when a group of students aren't allowed into a building because of the color of their skin. How exactly does one look away from that? Is it logical to have a civilized debate about whether students should wear clothing or paint their faces in a way that represents the oppression, terrorism upon, and suffering of an entire group of people? For example, how blackface was utilized to degrade African Americans both professionally and personally for centuries. Is it really our right for free speech that allows for the celebration of the suffering and subjugation of millions of people? But if this is made into a debate over free speech, we can also take it from there. Mrs. Krasakis says that discouraging costumes that appropriate other cultures is a violation of freedom of speech. If this is true, it begs the question of what intellectual concepts could possibly be shared or gained by wearing blackface. And if so, why are the desires and opinions of people of color being marginalized, as if those who exercise their right for free speech don't deserve to have that same right exercised against them? I could pick apart Mrs. Christakis' email for hours, how she justified the appropriation of other cultures, specifically her pur purchase of a sari, because she really liked it, or how she compared culture appropriation to religiously conservative folks' offense of skin-revealing costumes, as if these folks have suffered in the historical context of oppressed minorities. My freshman counselor, Bria Baker, made an invaluable point. Allow me to quote her. A lot of people are trying to make an intellectual debate out of something that's not debatable. Racism is not a debate. I don't think that Erica Christakis meant to say that we should all dress up in blackface and wear headdresses and go around in sombreros. She wanted to have an intellectual conversation about it. But that's not how it is for me. For me, it's not a conversation. I live this. This is not a teaching moment. This is a stop hurting your peers moment. And the topic that Bria raises is incomparable. Because shouldn't that be common sense? Because most of the issues that are being debated is saying that we're being coddled and we want a safe space. But in reality, it's a request to be accepted and respected 
and to have the right to not have to face discrimination in the place that we call home. Why has this been trivialized to an issue of hurt feelings? It seems that the opposing sides of this argument are really arguing two totally different things. One is for free speech, while the other is for a campus free of discrimination. I personally find it odd that these things seem to have to be mutually exclusive. And a lot has happened on campus since these events. Marches, protests, panelists, lectures. The March of Resilience in Yale itself involved over a thousand students, faculty, and other civilians. And each of these events illuminate how this is a new age. Dozens of schools have protested in solidarity with Yale, and thousands are standing their ground for their support for a new era free of discrimination. And of course, this has come hand in hand with a handful of atrocities committed in other schools like Mizzou and Ithaca. But ultimately, ultimately, this isn't an outrage spurred solely from a single email, although it's frequently painted by the media as such. It's really quite easy to pin this issue on privileged students that are oversensitive and way too politically correct, because that's ridiculous. But the thing is, ridiculous is what gets on the news. This isn't about one email. This isn't about a one-time thing where a group of girls couldn't get into a party because they were black. This is decades upon centuries of oppression, discrimination, and downright racism. This is a movement that has gained its momentum alongside a horrific email and horrific occurrence at a frat house. But in no means is why this happened. I'm an Asian American, a person of color, and I do not think that I should be forced to face discrimination at the expense of so-called free speech. As a proponent for intellectual diversity in discussion, I hope that this isn't seen as an attack against fundamental rights, but the advocacy of just a little bit of common sense in a basic right. Hi, my name is Jared Misho. I'm a freshman at Yale University, and I'm from Northern Maine, a very rural, isolated, and homogenous community. Um, which has made the events that have been going on at Yale very eye-opening for me. And so I'm here today to talk a little bit about those. Um, The things that have been going on at Yale are so important for not only our school, but the rest of the world. Um, This fight is really, and I mean, I use the term fight very loosely because not violent at all, but um, this is about belonging and creating a campus climate where students feel um, like they belong and like their voices are heard and where they feel comfortable and where they feel accepted and where they don't feel oppressed or marginalized. Um, And so, you know, specifically for women of color, but, you know, this is about all minorities um, and whether, you know, it's about you know, a racial minority or being an economic minority or having, you know, under-resourced education, all these sorts of things. Everyone who has ever felt marginalized, this is really a fight about that and about breaking down the barriers at Yale and making everyone feel comfortable and understood and heard here. Um, So, yeah, I think it's important for people to realize that this is not really about an email or about that one party. And 
you know, there are separate fights over all of those things, you know, like, what does it mean to have free speech? And, um, you know, did that woman actually get turned down from the party? But it's not even about that. Um, this has been a fight, you know, especially for people of color, you know, it's a, it's a daily fight. It's a constant fight. My roommate, um, he's Nigerian and he was telling me, you know, like, this is how he's lived his life. Like, he's not surprised any of this is happening, which is really, um, scary and sad and eye-opening for me. Um, and I think one of the most important things about what's going on at Yale here, it's not, no one should have pity on Yale. I'm actually proud of Yale. You know, we're, we're the ones who are taking action and we have, you know, we're, we're stepping up because, you know, racism in this country exists everywhere. Um, and Yale is really serving as the catalyst for tackling this problem. Um, and because of this, more people are being exposed to this problem. I, I myself was pretty blind um, when I came to Yale. You know, I came to Yale thinking, like, this is one of the best universities in the world. There's no way that anyone would not feel comfortable here, it would not feel loved and appreciated. Um, but I went to a discussion that was hosted by my residential college, and um, it was really disheartening to hear all of the stories that my peers have, uh, that, that they were sharing, the things that they've gone through um, at Yale, and to hear how that's affected them and how they feel here. Um, and it really opened my eyes to the harsh realities that is, you know, racism in America, really. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I think it's great that Yale is tackling this. We had, um, last Monday, the March of Resilience, over 1200 people were there and it was so powerful and so moving. There, there were musical performances, there was spoken word, there was chanting and singing and it was, it was just really moving. And I think what was so great about it was that not only did it kind of expose this issue and show everyone like this is a problem and we're going to tackle this together but um it also showed a lot of support there were people of all races there and i know a lot of people of color were just saying that it was so nice to see all the people that came out to support them because that's really what this is about and that's really how these problems can be tackled um by support and by having people on their side, um, who are willing, you know, this has been a fight for people of color for a long time, but now if we get everyone to join in their ranks, then maybe we can actually start to change this. So, um, and then last week we also had a teach in, um, there were, I don't know, probably a thousand people there as well. We, it went on for three and a half hours, this long discussion with a bunch of professors and guests about, race and these problems at Yale and you know there was a line out the door people were being turned away um so I only got to see the end of it but it was really powerful and moving um and I think yeah so it's just so great that Yale is that the students were taking action about this and were really passionate about making a change um and I think that's awesome and all of these other things um, that have been going around the country are exposing people to these problems. You know, I've talked to home, friends at home 
And they're like, this is crazy. Like racism still exists. I had no clue. I was like, yeah, like it does. It's a, it's a daily thing for a lot of people. And, um, another thing that some, someone pointed out to me is that they want to make clear that good people can be racist. Um, because there's this like stigma that, you know, evil, only evil, evil people are racist. Um, you know, the people who, you know, will, will do all these acts of violence and stuff, but even just a thought or even just a simple, simple, um, something said will, can be racist and can offend people. Um, and so it's important for people to realize that all these things and even just exclusion, um, because of race, all, all these things are affecting people and they're so real and they're so pertinent. Um, and it's really great that Yale is tackling this. Um, and so I guess for other people, the thing that I've taken away from everything, um, in the discussions that I went to and in listening to a lot of my peers, they have said what they want really is just to be heard and to be understood um, and I think this goes with everyone. And I felt this myself as, at Yale. I wanted to be heard. I wanted people to understand my life story and what's it, what it's like to be in my shoes. And in the same respect, I need to make it a point for myself to understand what it's like to be in um, someone other people's shoes, you know, someone who's of color or, you know, a woman or a minority of any sort, really. And just um, take time to understand what it's like and to listen, um, and along with that, not to um, deny their feelings. There's been a lot of those things um, here, people saying, you know, these things happened to me, and people just having all these counter-arguments, and really, like, what really matters is just people not feeling comfortable, not feeling like they belong. That's what matters here, and um, I think just being open and listening to those things is really what we can do and personally and on an institutional level I think all universities should be engaging in these conversations and making people aware you know that racism still exists and um like how can we tackle this and how can we make our students feel more comfortable and like they belong at our universities because I know that this is not just a problem at Yale um I just think Yale is kind of the catalyst again and is making this change and is speaking out. But yeah, I think in, at an institutional level, all colleges should be engaging in these discussions um, and hearing from their students and asking more about how they actually feel. Um, you know, even just like one woman was telling me she she's the only black woman in the uh, chemical engineering department and all her professors are white men and just how that feels for her. Um, and so just things like that. Um, and yeah, and then on the personal level, just listening to each other, but then again, um, kind of taking a step back and analyzing your own actions and trying to figure out, you know, am I, all these like little microaggressions that are you partaking in them? Just little things you say or even thoughts that you have, trying to deconstruct those um, those things so that, you know, really we can be void of racism. Um, so, yeah, um, it was a pleasure talking. 
um, at, on this podcast. Um, I hope, hopefully, that um, everyone kind of joins this movement and also sees Yale not in, as some uh, violent protest uh, protesting students. Uh, some people are calling us, you know, crazy liberals and stuff. But we're really trying to take action about making this a great school climate and fostering this wonderful community. Um, and we're hoping that this can be created, you know, throughout the, the country at all colleges and, you know, in all communities, really. Uh, thank you again. Have a nice day.